on today's Compassion Radio. The right way to do it, my Egyptian friend said, if you want to understand, Jim, stand under the local yeah. people because they live there, they have to endure the conditions, and they know how to do it. So the churches in the region are the ones who bear the witness, and we come alongside to encourage them and help them as we can. Hello and welcome to the Radio Journal from the front lines of faith and those brave enough to go there. We're glad to share the next 26 minutes with you. Last week I began a moving interview with our dear friend Dr. Jim Jennings of Conscience International. There aren't many in the West who understand what's really going on in the Middle East hotspots, and that's doubly true of Christians. Now Jim is not one of those people. He's got the dust of the Holy Land all over him. He also has a large network of personal friends all over the region. I know. He personally introduced me to many of them. When American Christians are stunned to discover that there are hundreds of thousands of faithful Christians in Palestine, Jim has worshipped in the third oldest Christian church in the world, which just happens to be located at the center of Gaza City. We discussed our concern for this treasure of the kingdom, and sure enough, the church of St. Porphyrius was bombed two days later, killing 18 people taking refuge inside. Today, we turn our attention to how hope can be restored. If you missed any of the previous discussion, you can find it in the podcast section of our website, CompassionRadio.com. Why has not any single American administration stood up and said, we want to free the people in Gaza? Everybody in the world knows that this place is the cesspool of the world. Hmm. And that's why the people are marching by the millions in 80 cities around the world right now, including some North American cities. But that's a political solution that is simple for a historian or political scientist to figure out. And yet nobody has stood up to say, let's do this. And there is a lot of support for that kind of thing. Yeah, you have to expend a lot of capital, though. I mean Physical capital, monetary capital, and political capital to do something that has not been done before. You have to tell people, you've never imagined this before. You can't imagine how it would work. It doesn't make any sense to you, but yet we're going to do it anyway. That's where you're starting, trying to explain to the populace, this is how Pax Americana is going to work itself out. This is how we actually adopt those who need us. And this is how we actually benefit Israel and the other neighbors in the Middle East by doing this. It's a tough sell. It would be almost impossible. It has been almost impossible to sell over 75 years because of the Cold War in particular and the Middle East Wars as well. And I guess I would say the Zionist lobby, which has a great deal of influence beyond the mere state of Israel. Right. But I do believe that this is uh, also true, that a lot of money has gone into Gaza in the form of United Nations aid and Arab countries aid and USAID, American aid, a lot of money to mainly support the population. Why not let them earn their own living by giving them the privilege of being in one of the greatest potential growth cities in the world yeah. and take it away from a charity uh, and earn their own way? Now, uh, the Saudis have put a lot of money into it. Yeah. Everybody has, and and yet uh, the problem still exists. Well, uh, my problem with analyzing what could come next and why it hasn't worked before is that we've had a number of glittering cities around the world that have sprung up overnight because some big change happened, like in Beirut, Lebanon. Once the wars ended in the early 80s, 
where you started your missions work that became the relief work you're involved with now, it was just a, a wasteland like Gaza is at this moment. And it rebounded. It became one of these glittering cities on the Mediterranean. And that kind of went to Disneyland, went to Las Vegas, went to whatever after a while. And now it's crumbling back on itself, imploding with bad governance and corruption. And so the rest of the world looks in and says, well, it keeps happening like this over here. Why do we even spend a dime to try to help them build something if they're just going to blow it up anyway? And I think to myself that, well, if it was my country, I'd want to try. And if it's true that nations don't have friends, they have interests, and those who aspire to be a nation don't have even friends, how do you even start in a modern world to begin a country when everything else is gobbled up already? What is the interest in America at this point to help establish a state that is Palestinian? How is it in the interest of our relationship with Israel? How is it in Israel's interest that their neighbors are safe and secure and are not offensive? I think it would save uh, everybody money uh, all around in the final analysis. It, it can't be. Uh, I mean, Israel, the proverbial insight is that Israel can only sustain a war for 30 days. Mm-hmm. That is all out war. Yeah. And if it has to go beyond that because it relies on civilian troops, that now the 300,000 people are going to be bogged down in Gaza for who knows how long. Right. Uh, that has got to put Israel on the ropes economically. And uh, there are donations from outside, sure. But how often can you drop these uh, $20,000 bombs and drop them by the thousands and not go broke? Yeah. The United States gives $3.2 billion a year to Israel for its military needs or uses. So I I think uh, Lebanon is a good example of what can go wrong and what not to do. It's had repeated disasters, mainly wars, and this uh, huge explosion on the port of Beirut that destroyed a good portion of one of the most beautiful cities in the world, and also the, the refugees from the Syrian war. The number of people killed in the Syrian war is over 300,000 since 2011. So the whole region is racked with um, bloodshed and danger, and I think people are dispirited. They're dispirited. Of course they are. Especially in Israel right now as they're recovering from this. The Arab world is dispirited because they look on Gaza and they're helpless. They can't do anything. All of this signal something that is uh, 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 tremendous and the tumult is rolling, is is increasing and like a stone rolling downhill, it's very dangerous. Okay, so where does the hope come from? I look to the hills from whence my help comes. Is there help to come? Is there plenty of place to appeal to for help for nation states or quasi-states like the Palestinian Authority and the Hamas in Gaza? Is there any place to look? David said that that psalm, uh, look to the hills from whence cometh my help, because the hills didn't give him help, but they reminded him that the Lord created the hills and the earth, and my real hope and my help comes from the Lord. And I think that uh, the Christians in Egypt and Lebanon and Palestine, Syria, Iraq, and all those countries are holding on to the vision that there can be a day of peace and that there will be a, a real change in the atmosphere in that part of the world. And they've been heroic about it. There's a church in Gaza that was built in 400 A.D., and mm. I have worshipped in that church. It's one of the oldest churches in Christianity. 
it's still there, and they still have services every Sunday in that church. So there are many uh, people who witness to peace and to authentic faith, and they don't all have to be madmen who will commit uh, horrible acts and, and call it good. The New Testament says there'll come a day when people kill somebody and think they're doing God a service. Well, that yeah. day has arrived. Indeed it has. In the past 20 years, you told the story, Dr. Nelson told the story, I've seen it with my own eyes, that some of the greatest links we've got to the first century church, where it really erupted and took over the world, advanced the gospel to every corner of the planet, those links have been cut off one after another. You're talking about that church in Gaza that goes back to 400 AD. That's astounding. I have no idea if that church is even standing now after the bombardment of Gaza. Right. We lost, if not the entire group, probably, what, 99% of the Assyrian church in Iraq, which still speaks and reads in Aramaic, that speak the actual dialect that Jesus spoke when he was preaching, yes. still worshiping in Iraq, bombed to smithereens, driven out by every other force there. I don't know if they're ever coming back. Are we losing our entire link to the, the roots of our faith? Well, there are some historians, uh, one at, uh, at uh, Princeton University, I believe, who has uh, written about the erasure of Christianity in Asia. I mean, start with the Mongol invasion. They came through, uh, the Christians had reached India by 600 A.D. Mm-hmm. The apostles had, uh, had converted people, and, and the evangelists went there. That whole thing was wiped out all across Asia in the medieval period, and many of the people in that sector were Christians. So, and North Africa was wiped out by the Muslim invaders in the 7th century, the Christian churches there. And so it has to be re-evangelized and re-introduced, reimagined in a way again. I think reimagine is probably a great way of putting it, because I'm kind of scared to think what re-evangelizing would mean now, because we are kind of buying into a very militant idea of Christianity ourselves in the West. Obviously, they don't want more war, they don't want more hegemony, and they don't want more imperialism. But I do believe that the world that you and I have seen out there really desperately wants something that looks an awful lot like Jesus. Someone that actually comes to them really loving and offering the help and support and identity and affirmation of genuine value to God that Jesus seemed to be imprinting on everybody. Also not to stand over them as if we were colonialist lords, uh, colonizing them. The people are very intelligent, very educated nowadays, and they have great skills and great hope. So the right way to do it my Egyptian friend said, if you want to understand, Jim, stand under mm. the local yeah. people because they live there, they have to endure the conditions, and they know how to do it. So the churches in the region are the ones who bear the witness, and we come alongside to encourage them and help them as we can. Well, I don't think there's any better seminary education for anybody who really, really wants to serve God than to sit down at the feet, literally at the feet, of someone who's itinerantly taken the gospel across China, or has ridden the trains all the way across Asia along the Silk Road, and has brought relief, education, the gospel, hope, all kinds of things to enclaves all along Asia, and re-bringing the gospel the way the first century church brought it. 
I don't think there's anything that's more powerful than that, but we don't really often give ourselves the opportunity to really learn because we're not willing, as you say, to sit under or to be under anybody else other than our own idea of what advancement is, of what the future of Christianity is. But I do believe that's where God's heart is with those who are doing the things the way he always did them, and that is to spend time with those who the world has overlooked, who it doesn't care about anymore, who is willing to bomb to smithereens, and stay there until the miracles start happening. And you've seen them as you've been out there on the field doing relief work. You've seen God show up. You've seen the men of peace just appear out of nowhere and usher you into places of influence and opportunity. It's still yeah. happening. So let me uh, sum up this conversation with a couple of questions you can answer any way you want to, Doctor. First of all, you said at the beginning of our conversation that it's likely to spin out of control in some ways, and there are some things you can predict that's going to happen next. It's not just going to be limited in Israel and Gaza to that one conflict. So I want to know how you think it's going to go. The second thing is, how does the kingdom respond? I mean, actively respond in a way that really makes a difference and save lives. What do we do, and how do we pray? I'll start with the second question. Some years ago, a friend of mine analyzed the missionary budget or the evangelism budget of most churches, and they found that not uh, 10 cents out of each dollar that was given in churches for missions went to the Muslim world, not even 1%. Yeah. Not even 1%. So it goes to the Islamic world. And that's because people consider it difficult, but the fact is it's not any more difficult than any place else because people are people. Yes. The churches are there that we come alongside them and encourage them. Compassion Radio will continue to keep bringing you encouragement from the Word, inspiring stories from the front lines of faith, and awesome opportunities to make a difference for the kingdom around the world. But we need your help right now to continue doing just that. Please take a moment today to consider how you might help us to accomplish our unique media ministry and mission. Just visit our website, CompassionRadio.com, or call our toll-free order line, 1-800-868-2478. And note our new mailing address, which is P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. Again, that's Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. And now, back to the broadcast. The churches are there that if we come alongside them and encourage them, it's something we can do. But I am, in the first part of your question, what do I foresee? I'm afraid that evil flourishes upon evil and grows in evil soil and that these uh, horrific and barbaric actions will be repeated on the other side. They already are, because if you take the total number of those killed in Israel by these despicable, indescribable attacks, they are doubled at least by the bombing already in Gaza, and they haven't even started uh, killing people yet in the war. So that's something to think about, that we need to value every human life equally, whether they're Jew, Muslim, Christian, Israeli, Egyptian, Iraqi, any other nationality, and try to find leadership in the world that would show the way to a brighter day. Hmm. Well, the Scripture keeps getting reiterated, going Old Testament on it is... You know, an eye for an eye, a tooth for tooth, they deserve this. And I think to myself, in that scenario, even then, when you're belligerents and you're facing off against each other, there's pain that's perceived. 
when an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth is done literally, both the parties involved can see each other hurt. So they have at least an empathy to understand this is going to cause pain to them if I use retribution to settle the score. They can perceive it. And we're living in an age now, Doctor, where it seems like we use these literal scenes as if they're some kind of metaphor, an idea, a philosophy. It's just this is the way the world works. And then we lob bombs from hundreds of miles away and explode schools, or we hit a car. And it never occurs to us that there could be other people on the other end there that are not just going to die from these attacks. They're going to have to watch other people die. And we don't care because we're so far removed. So is it really the same thing? Is that what the Bible is talking about, the kind of way that nation states now deal with these kind of aggressions? I think it was Gandhi who said, if we insist on an eye for an eye, we will both end up blind. So nation states have no consciences, as you said before. People do. And the mass of people are, of course, repulsed and are revolted by what they have seen in this last week. In southern Israel, it is so tragic that those families and young people and children and older people were killed, and not just killed, but in a heartless and barbaric way. Now we see the retribution, the retaliation. And uh, I have uh, statistics that show that in some cases, throughout the last 75 years, I would say, that the Israeli philosophy has been, okay, if you hit us once, we will hit you ten times. Mm-hmm. And so, in general, the number of deaths in Israel from all the Arab attacks has been retaliated and paid for 10 to 1. And in one case, in the so-called cast lead bombing of 2009, I was there under the bombs in Gaza, and the actual outcome was about, I think, 1,300 Palestinians killed and 13 Israelis killed. So it was 100 to 1, not for every conflict, but in that particular conflict, it was practically bloodless on the Israeli side, and it was very bloody on the Arab side. So all the people marching all around the world, they have taken note of these facts, and I think Israel has a reckoning to face about its own self and identity. And I believe the Arab people have enough sense. They have already in Iraq and Syria rejected wholesale, the ISIS or Daesh philosophy Good. of what they call in Arabic, Idarat al-Tawahush, the management of savagery. Yeah. And of course, the Hamas, they followed that same way of acting. It's tragic and uh, it's beyond tragic. Uh, it's indescribable. Losing demons is not exactly a manageable exercise. Okay. Well, doctor, I'd like to talk more about this issue with you. I want you to be able to give us a final word, maybe a story from the time that you and Dr. Nelson traveled together that gave you hope when you were traveling through places like Gaza or the West Bank or in the other countries uh, before and after the first and second wars in Iraq. What did you see out there that you still to this day remember and you think to yourself, this is it. This is where the change happens and this is the future that God has for us. We went to Iraq during the sanctions on Iraq. Nobody could go there. The Iraqis wouldn't let anybody in, but I managed to get several delegations into that country. We met with the top officials in the country, not with Saddam, but with his number two, Tariq Aziz. We met with the parliamentarians and so forth. And if people want to sit down and talk peace, they can. 
one of the other things that happened was on the humanitarian side when we went into a certain hospital and it was cold in the wintertime. They didn't have any heat. The patients were freezing. They couldn't keep the babies from dying just of the cold as well as other diseases. And then when babies are born, if they're blue babies and they haven't had prenatal vitamins, their mother hasn't had, then they can't breathe. They mm. turn blue yeah. and they will die. Well, I've seen them die in front of me in Gaza. Twins turned blue and died, the newborns. And then in Iraq, the doctor said, look what we have to aspirate these babies with. We have one bag that we hand squeeze to uh, help them breathe when they're newborn. And this one has a hole in the bag and it's broken. So we can't really do anything. We don't have the equipment. I said, oh, is that so? I got in a car and drove some, some 14 hours across the desert. I bought some of those uh, piece of equipment, went back in, argued my way through the border when nobody from America could get a visa. And I said, you must let me in because so they did. And I took those to the hospital. And you should have seen the look on the faces of the doctors when they saw that somebody cared for those people, and they cared enough to help in every way they could. Very simple thing, but this means a lot. So if you go and preach to people, they may or may not listen or be affected by it. But if you go and keep your mouth shut and work with your hands and your feet to show your genuineness, uh, they will listen. And they will be uh, changed by that interaction. That's bringing peace. As you are changed by sitting down with somebody in their tent while they tell you the story of how they ended up in this refugee camp. Um, it starts with a story and a cup of tea, probably 90% of the time. And if we're willing to sit and abide with people who have those stories to tell, I think in some ways this is God saying, I sent you a pair of ears to tell your story because I want to hear it too. And then we change the way we behave. We change the way we give. We change a lot of things when we actually sit down with people that God wants us to listen to. So I hope you get more opportunities, Doctor, in the years that God has left for you to be sitting down with those who are transformational figures in this world, the people who have hope. Graham, Christianity is about incarnation. It started with the incarnation mm -hmm. at, at Bethlehem. What you just said about sitting and having tea with the people I uh, know you've learned it, uh, Norman has learned it, and that's a way to incarnate the good news of the Christian faith. I remember in Greece, on the island of Lesbos, where the biggest refugee camp was for the Syrian refugees, and sat there with a big husky Arab man who had been an army soldier in Iraq helping the Americans in their war, and he had fled, mm -hmm. but they were stuck in that refugee camp for weeks and months and couldn't move. And he's a big man, but he broke down crying when he was telling his story. Yeah. And his family was there. I put my arm around him, and that's what is called incarnation mm -hmm. of the good news. It's coming alongside people and comforting them. Amen to them. That God will give us more opportunity. And, Doctor, as you find opportunities to get involved with the mop-up, whatever comes after this onslaught into Gaza as Hamas will fall, as it's likely to do, and as the people of Palestine are left with the broken shards of what used to be a quasi-country, possibly a community, a place for their children to grow up, and now is a pile of dust. Um, when you have the opportunity to get in there, 
or you send people to make a difference there. I want to hear the stories. I want to know how we can be involved with that. So please keep us updated on the progress. We think water is essential right now because the water and food and electricity have been cut off and the people will die in three days for lack of water, children especially. And if we can get truckloads of gallons of water in, uh, that's what we want to do from El Arish on the Sana Peninsula on the Mediterranean coast. It's near to Rafa, the southern entrance to Gaza. Yeah. That entrance is not open right now, but we hope it will be soon. We'll pray for that too then. Okay, let me know when those doors do open and what's happening there, because we need to know. Not because we want to be depressed about things, but simply because knowledge is power. And I do want to be empowered to be living the gospel out in ways that actually do the thing that God said to do, which was to inhabit the whole earth, that the praise of God would go forth because people are truly transformed by his presence, that incarnation you talked about. So, Dr. Jennings, thanks again so much for getting us filled in a little bit on the backstory and the current situation. We'll pray with you for many things. We'll pray maybe at, at cross purposes here about what would happen with the next moves. Perhaps they'll actually draw a truce right up right away, and you'll be proven wrong about where you think the uh, escalation's going. And I hope that's the case. But if it's not, that people wise like you would be able to help steer people toward the off-ramp, the next exit, the place where there can be a truce so that peace can be discussed and hoped for and imagined and accomplished. Thank you again so much for how you share with us when you come on our program. Thank you, Bram, for your tremendous insights and for your compassion. Thank you. Dr. Jim Jennings of Conscious International is himself a great treasure of the kingdom, and I'm grateful every time we can get him on the air with us. You can find his ministry at conscienceinternational.org. If you missed any of part one or two of this conversation, please drop by our website, CompassionRadio.com, to hear it all in our podcast archive. Compassion Radio is still the radio voice of the global church, and that's completely due to the Lord's provision through you. Give online today at CompassionRadio.com, or call us at 1-800-868-2478, or write us, P.O. Box 77160. Corona, California, 92877. We need you, friend, so contact us today.